Welcome to the Whole Life Healing Podcast with Dr. Alexander Lloyd, best-selling author and founder of the Revolutionary Healing Codes Technique. Each week, Dr. Alex shares principles and methods from psychology, energy medicine, natural medicine, and spirituality to help you reduce stress, heal emotional and physical issues, and remove the barriers that hold you back from happiness and success. Join us as we learn to live our happiest, healthiest, and most successful lives. Here's Dr. Alex. Hi, Dr. Alex here. If you like the show today or any day, I would love it if you took about 10 seconds to go to iTunes and leave a review for the show. I've been doing this for about 14 years now, and I spend hundreds of hours every year in preparation and recording the show. And if you like it, if it's worth your time, if you think it might benefit others, I would love it if you could leave a review to recommend to your friends or just recommend it to your friends that could benefit from listening to the show. Thank you so very much. Since we are going to be talking about issues of health and well-being, we wanted to make sure that you understand that this information is not intended to cure or heal anything. Everything in the presentations is the opinion of Alex Lloyd. You should always check with a licensed healthcare provider about any specific health concern you may have. Hi. I'm Dr. Alex Lloyd and welcome to the new Jesus. Uh, let me pray if, if I might before we start. Dear Father, um, thank you so much for this person who is watching this right now. Uh, one person or a, a number of people, I don't know, but please bless them. Please open their hearts, give them wisdom, discerning, knowledge. Please bless their health, their career and prosperity, their relationships, most of all, uh, their relationship with you. Let them be in right relationship with you. Give you um, control over the events of their life, the end results of their life, their desires, their fears, everything. And please give them your peace that passes understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, Let's start with a little review, and I promise I'm, I'm going to keep it more succinct this time, and we're going to get more and more and more succinct as we go. Um, one thing I, I, I felt compelled to share, um, this last couple of weeks I've heard from several people uh, and one church who is using these videos as curriculum for their small group Bible studies and some individuals who are doing that on their own. And uh, I, I can't tell you what that means to me. I can't tell you um, the, the warmth and love and excitement I feel when I hear that. But you have to know a little bit about my path. Um, I started down this path in about the year 2000, about 21 years ago. And uh, I was a follower of Jesus. It was the most important thing in my life. Uh, Jesus was my Lord and Savior. I was committed to the Father, committed to doing my best to live in love in the present moment, give up the end results, etc. Um, the Bible uh, as my guide um, and, and 
studying it and trying to better follow the instructions that are in here. And because of the nature of my work, which was in a very specialized field called energy medicine, I would end up at big health fairs where there were five, 6,000 people there. And as far as I knew, I was the only believer there. I was the only Christian, according to the definition of some Christians, there. I, I would have people uh, bring people over to me and say, uh, talking about me, I want you to meet my Christian friend. Um, and, I, and it was wonderful, and I got along very well with all those people. Never had any issue at all. It was when uh, a church or a pastor or a church board member or, or someone like that uh, would happen on me, usually because one of their members had, uh, had done the Healing Codes or Trilogy and been healed of some health issue, and then they told their pastor or board member or whatever. But those are the people that um, uh, I tended to be um, a source of fear for them. Uh, they would call me or question that I was new age, meaning maybe not a follower of Jesus, not a Christian, really don't believe in God, kind of believe in the universal consciousness, kind of that uh, law of attraction thing and all that, um, when that was never the case for me. Uh, there was a period of time that I studied that after my life had crashed and I'd thrown everything overboard. Uh, but it was obvious to me quickly that uh, I did not believe that was the de facto true worldview. Okay, and, and, and again, some of those worldviews are mutually exclusive. They can't both be so. Uh, so that was never true. But it was still interesting because I had lots of friends um, in the Christian communities and followers of Jesus. I'd grown up in that. I'd worked in that full-time for 10 years. My undergraduate ministry was in that. I've been an ordained minister um, by a mainstream church since 1992, uh, 21 years now. Um, and it kind of came to a head. I was doing uh, workshops with Dr. Caroline Leaf and Dr. Jordan Rubin. And it was sort of a mind, body, spirit thing. And we would go to big churches and Jordan was body and Caroline and I both were sort of mind and spirit. Um, but I thought it went very, very well, very well received. We planned to do it all over the country. And then the next um, uh, big church we were going to do it at, and I, I'm not going to name the city or anyone involved because I, I, I don't have any ill will against them. But anyway, they said we were already scheduled to present there, and they said Jordan and Caroline can come, but Alex can't come. And when inquiries were made, they felt like I was new age, uh, not Christian. And so I would get in there and teach these unbiblical things and pull people astray and stuff like that. And that was fine. That was fine. Uh, but what was interesting is that right after that, the 
senior pastor of that church who preaches every week on television and is watched by millions of people, easily one of the top three preachers in the world today, as far as most famous, still today, and this was a few years ago. And the um, pastor-preacher introduced himself, apologized for not letting me come to the uh, and be a part of an event, and asked me if I would, said he'd read my book and, and thought it was very, very good, one of the best books he had read, and asked me if I would help him with a problem of his. <laughs> so he won't let me come and speak at the, the congregation, believing I'll lead them astray, but privately tells me, no, I know you're not New Age. I, I've, I've read your books. I've studied you. I know, I, I know that's not true. But I don't think my church is ready for it yet. Even though um, I see no issue with it at all, I don't think my church is ready for it yet. Okay, And that was, that was fine. Well, I have now heard that. That was a number of years ago. I have now heard that well over 50 times, maybe a hundred times, where a preacher, pastor, board member, whatever, hears about me, somebody whispers in his ear, gives, the, gives her a book, whatever, and then they contact me for help, and we have wonderful conversations about the Lord and Scripture, and they call me brother and all that, but then they will say, but I don't think my church is ready for you yet. I think it would cause an uproar even though I know you're a follower of Jesus and not New Age and whatever. Um, well, first of all, in the New Age community are some of the most wonderful people I've ever met in my life. Uh, way more loving as a group than I would say members of churches are. Now, it depends on which church, of course, but especially the legalistic ones like I grew up in you know, John said, you will know them by your love. Not the ones I grew up with, you wouldn't know them by your love. If you knew them by your love, then you would not know them. You would say they are not of Jesus because they sure are not acting in love. Gossiping, uh, harsh to people, mean, cheating, lying. Um, oh man, unbelievable. Okay, and, and, and we all sin. That's not the point, all right? The point is their judgmentalism and, and lack of trying to see others in love and, and uh, through the grace of God. Okay, so anyway, I'm going too long like I always do, but it's very exciting to me to hear uh, a church is using this as their curriculum and individuals and couples and families and a few groups I've heard from are using this as discussion starters and uh, events. Some of them events that were already going on that they're now using this. Some starting events using this. And I just wanted to sh say I will be praying for all of you guys. I don't know who you are, but God does. And if you ever need any assistance, if you want to do a Zoom call, I'd be happy to show up and we can discuss some live and answer questions, whatever. Uh, I would love to come to uh, churches or really any group of believers 
that uh, would like to have like a one-day Bible-based reducing negative emotions event, I would love to do that. Uh, it's kind of my heart's desire. Um, Anyway, I just wanted to add that little post-it note um, this week because that's been very exciting to me. And it's only started happening, really, in the last two, three, four weeks. The first few months, basically didn't hear much of anything from anybody. But we've started hearing stuff lately. And it's, it's, been, and it's also been like 99% positive, so thank you for that as well. And if you look on the uh, YouTube, on the comment section, I do try to reply to comments there. Um, not all of them all the time, but because I'm kind of busy, but I try to. So, okay, that's the post-it note. All right, let's review very briefly. So, what did we, what did we get to last week? Well, this was all here last week. I've not erased that. Uh, I've added a diagnostic. So now we have 12 diagnostics and the one I added was your have-tos being turned into want-tos. Kind of like me, I couldn't stand to clean a toilet. Then after the internal transformation, I did it joyfully and didn't even know I was doing it. Uh, along with 20 other things in my life that I had hated before that. Alright, so one diagnostic of where you are, do you have a whole bunch of have-tos or have some of those have-tos been transformed into, I don't mind doing it, I mean I'm not excited about it, but I don't mind doing it, or I can do it with joy and, and peace even, not just neutral, alright? So that would be the twelfth diagnostic, and, and I can't emphasize enough how critical these diagnostics can be, not only to get a picture of where you are overall, but you can also do all 12 on any individual issue to see where you are like exactly on that one issue. Now, if, I were, if you were only going to do one, I would do the true you test. Because it is by, it took me 30 years to really develop that and put it all together to test every question with lie detector type medical uh, test. Uh, there's not another test like it in the world, all right? It's a micro expression test, which cannot be gamed as long as the person answers truthfully, okay? But that's just one of these. I would do all 12. And, and you may find one or two that is just really in sync with you and the way you live and the way you think and all and that sort of thing great that means those two you can take a look at way more often and then just every once in a while look at the others and 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 always take a picture of that with your phone or something so that you can track your progress over time with those zero with those minus tens to plus tens all right so all of this was here last week, and this is where we had gotten to. For the best outcome every time, your outcome guarantee formula is your will be done living 
moment by moment, praying without ceasing as part of that, uh, your will be done moment by moment. And that leads to God's outcome guarantee from Romans 8, and it applies, it appears, to intentional or unintentional sin. So here are the four takeaways from last week and kind of where we've gotten to. Number one, whether it's intentional or unintentional sin, it is covered by grace, as long as you are in a state of grace. How do you know if you're in a state of grace? If you can honestly say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and mean it. I believe God. there is a God. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I want and commit, as best I can, to living my life God's will, not mine. Okay? You can say all that, and maybe if you can just say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, you are in a state of grace. All right? John 1. Uh, the blood of, God, of Christ continually cleanses automatically, throwing mud on someone standing in the shower, windshield wipers, automatically. All right? So whether intentional or unintentional, the grace applies. Um, if you are in a state of grace, then you receive dying grace or garbage grace or doing the best possible work on your work project grace or taking out the garbage grace or somebody's mean to you and how you react back to them grace. Grace is the power that is needed for God's action that he would like done in this situation. Alright? It's God's power to accomplish it through the Holy Spirit who lives in you as you are one with Jesus, the mystery of the ages. You're seated with him in the heavenlies. He is in you here and now. Okay? So it doesn't matter if it's intentional or unintentional. You receive dying grace. It will turn what Satan meant for harm God will turn what Satan meant for harm to good. And whatever is happening right now, whether pleasurable, painful, or neutral, if you are in a state of grace, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and you are committed to God as best you can, then whatever's happening in your life right now, painful, pleasurable or neutral, must be God's will. Okay? So, what, what does that mean? It comes down to right versus wrong. Okay? We talked about, can your best life include chronic pain? We, we don't think of things like that, typically, as our best life. We think about that as our worst life. But we talked about last week, and I believe it's absolutely true, chronic pain, whether physical or emotional, can be part of your best life possible. That's why it's your will be done moment by moment, because I don't necessarily know what's right and best for me at any given time. As I've proven over 20 years, as I've asked groups, have you ever had a situation that you thought was bad at the time that ended up good or good at the time that ended up bad? And everybody raises their hands, including me, 
And most people say, oh yeah, I, I have that happen quite a bit. I had one happen yesterday. What does that mean? It means you don't necessarily know what is best for you right now. But God does because he's not bound by time. He doesn't see time linear like we do. He sees it as a circle all at once from the end of time to the beginning and right now and tomorrow and 10 years from now. And because God is God and is all-powerful and all-knowing, when he decides that something is going to happen, it's done like Jesus slain before the foundation of the world. That, that's not true with us. With us, it's not done until it's done because we don't have all power and control and knowledge. So it may not get done, all right? With God, there are, he controls everything. So when he decides, it's done. Well, what's the point? It means when he, he reads my heart, he says he judges and looks at and wants the heart. When he looks at my heart, even with an intentional sin, and sees that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I'm committed to him as best I can, and yes, I'm right in the middle of an intentional sin because of the weakness of my flesh, but I'm still committed to him. I would still say... Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I'm, I'm trying even in the middle of me doing this intentional sin. I'm trying. Okay? Now, I'm obviously falling right now. But God factored that in. He, that's why Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus would not have had to come and die if I could do it right. And that's why he said it's not of works. Uh, it's of grace lest anyone should boast, and Paul even, in a crazy thought, said, and that was even true in the Old Testament, Abraham was justified not by what he did, which is what everyone who lived at that time believed, but by what he believed. So, to God, it's really always been about what you believe and what you choose to believe, and who you choose to believe in and get you. One of my favorite preachers of all time uh, said, really, about the only thing we're strong and powerful and smart enough to do is decide who gets us, either God or Satan. But one of them is going to get us. We, we can't do it in our strength. That's obvious. One of them is going to get us. About all we can do is choose which one. And that's what God wants from you. Overall, and ten times a day, when pain, adversity, and unhealthy desires hit, He wants you to turn to Him for help, for strength, for, for the grace to do what He wants you to do, etc. Alright, so, whatever's happening now must be God's will. And then the ridiculous uh, passage, 2 Corinthians 12, 10. Delight yourself in weakness, insults, hardship, and persecution. Delight yourself in that. Why? Because when you are weak, then you are strong, and God jumps in, intervenes, imparts dying grace, turns what Satan means for harm for good. Okay? 
So that's how you can delight. And there's another passage we talked about a couple of weeks ago that says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And then the 2 Corinthians 4.10, where when pain and adversity hits, Oswald Chambers says, you say, Lord, I would be delighted, there's that word again, to obey you in this. And that if you do that, Jesus moves to the forefront of your life and Jesus' life manifests in your physical body. Brain, gallbladder, stomach, bones, etc. And God will be glorified in what happens in your life and body as long as you are in that situation. Okay? So, that's kind of where we've gotten up to. And, and uh, this is, uh, we talked about the unforgivable sin, and you're in control of that, not God. God's always ready to forgive. And, uh, okay? Um, so, it really kind of all comes down to right versus wrong. You know, when you're one year old, that's kind of where we start our life, isn't it? Uh, you know, we grab, we grab one thing and put it in our mouth and our mom or dad says, no, that's bad, that's bad, not good, put that down. And then we grab something else and yeah, good, good, eat that, that's good for you. Uh, ice cream, we, we for the first time stumble on ice cream and mom or dad was probably even saying as, as me at you know, just a few months old, I don't know what that is, so I'm a little bit hesitant this is good. This is good. Okay? Taste it. It's good. And I do. And I love it. And I want more and more and more and more and have all my life since then. I'm an ice cream guy. Okay? Um, so, that's where we started. In our life. Right versus wrong. Good versus bad. Alright? Um, that's also where God started. In the Garden of Eden. Alright? They can do anything they want. Evidently, they didn't have to work hard, at least the way that we tend to work now. It was a utopian situation. They were naked and, un and unashamed and unafraid. Uh, there weren't a bunch of rules and regulations. There was one that we know of. One rule. Don't eat from this tree. You can eat from all the others. You can eat from the one right next to it. Don't eat from this tree. That's bad. <laughs> okay? Well, guess what? Adam and Eve couldn't handle one bad thing. Imagine if there was only one bad thing in this entire world for us. And, and all the stuff we see on TV, you know, with the, the political mess and the Black Lives Matter, which... which uh, they absolutely do, and that's long overdue in my opinion. Not the violence part, but the let's, let's take a look at this and fix it part. All right? Um, the world terrorism, uh, hacking companies, I mean, all this crazy stuff. Imagine if there was only one bad, wrong thing. Wow! Wouldn't that simplify it a bunch? Well, maybe in a sense there is. Alright? It comes down to right versus wrong. Good 
bad. Okay? All right. So let's take a look at this week and take the next step. <clears throat> We're still high road versus low road. Time is the critical element when it comes to belief. If I didn't have to wait for five days, I wouldn't have done that sin. Okay? If Jesus was here right now, I wouldn't have done that sin. I would have waited until he was gone. Right? So, time is always involved with belief. All right? Belief in love versus fear of death is sort of what this whole thing is about internally. We're born with both, all right? And both are active. The first time the heart is ever mentioned in Genesis, man's inclination is to evil from his youth. And we know that the unconscious mind, and this is very recent scientific studies, leans to the negative, not the positive. It's part of our survival instinct. Well, it was right there in Scripture way before science. Okay. All right, so today, let's take the next step. It's about right versus wrong. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 5. And I tell you what, this passage just blows me away. And let's start with verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 21, I believe. Okay. Um... Here we go. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. So, how are you in Christ? Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart, take control of my life. I want to follow you. I want to be obedient to you. God, I believe in you and uh, as God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit who's in me. I believe in your word. Um, I want to be committed to you in my life, even though I know I'm going to mess up a whole lot. All right? You're in Christ. If, you, if that's your belief system... You are in Christ, and I believe that's all you have to know. You don't have to know all this complicated, deep, uh, you know, uh, reading between the lines and the original language. I think those help and those can uh, mislead us at times. But you don't have to be super knowledgeable. All you have to know and believe is that. And if you do, you are in Christ. All right, let's go on. So if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, you're new, the old is gone. What's the old? The old's the sinful me. It's the old man, the flesh, all right? Okay? But just because it's gone doesn't mean it will never affect me again. All right. Therefore, uh, I read that. Okay. So you're a new creation, the old is gone. And then it says, all this is from God. You did not earn it. You didn't create that yourself. That's all from God. Who reconciled to, to us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. What does reconcile mean? Well, 
If you're doing accounting, you've got debits and credits and you reconcile that statement, meaning everything is as it should be and the bottom line is correct. We have reconciled that statement, those taxes, whatever. They, they are correct now. God has reconciled the world to himself in Christ and get this, not counting men's sins against them. And remember, a few weeks ago, we read the passage from Psalms that talked about blessed is the man whose sin is never counted against him. Well, here it is in the New Testament, not counting men's sins against them. Right there in 2 Corinthians 5, that's, I believe, verse 18. Let's go on. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. Oh my goodness gracious. So if you are in Christ, this passage says, you are now, not, by, not because you earned it, not because you created it, a gift given to you by God. And the gift is you are the righteousness of Christ. What does that mean? The word righteousness means right. It means God hits his gavel and declares you right. Sit, remember on the other side of the board, it all comes down to right versus wrong. Okay, just like the Garden of Eden. All right. Well, God is saying he has arranged it through Jesus before the foundation of the world. His grace, the, the kingdom, his miracle plan of love being completely just, completely loving all at the same time. Okay? Grace. Grace, justice, love. The perfect Trinity plan. Grace, justice, love. All at the same time. And through hundreds of thousands, millions of years maybe, God, this has been the plan the before the foundation of the world. And then God started in Eden with plan B, not plan A. I mean, after Eden, God started with plan B, not plan A. In Eden, there was only one thing wrong, all right? And they did it. So then they're out of the state of grace, at least according to what they knew. They're sent out of the garden. Now they have to work. Now Eve has to have pain with childbirth and a bunch of other stuff, all right? And now they've got 600 and something rules, at least eventually, to the Hebrews where everything's a sin and there's all kinds of things that you can be killed for like touching a pig or something like that is a is a 
death warrant. I mean, so that was God's plan B. Okay, if you wanna, if you wanna try to earn your way, if I do good, I get good. If I do bad, I get bad. The way nature works, stimulus response. If you wanna try to earn your way that way, okay, go at it. Have have at it. And the result was no one could do it for thousands of years. Okay? And, and God never intended that. He knew they couldn't do it when he started it. So why did he do it? I, I think he, I don't know, but I think he did it because we would not have believed that way would not work unless we had it proven to us because it's the way everything in nature works. Okay? But all along, God's plan was love, grace, and justice that he paid for, not that we would have to pay for, so that we could have that perfect trilogy of love, grace, justice, and be declared right by God, even though five minutes ago, I remember doing the sin. And... God declares us right to the point of, as we just read, not even counting your sin against you in the first place. Blessed is the man whose sin is never counted against him. So we have reached the place in history of God's end game of grace and justice and love and this, this stuff we've been talking about for weeks that seems unbelievable. I mean, hardly any of us, and I know because I've talked to a bunch of you, hardly any of us were raised being taught these things. We were raised being taught, if you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. And yeah, there's grace, but who knows how that's going to work, and you may not be in the grace. Or God may give you grace on that, but not on that. Um, That's what most of the grace people told me decades ago, well, that's not grace at all. That's still law. Just as Paul said in James 1, who's bewitched you into believing another gospel going back to the law. And in Corinthians, same thing. They're struggling between the old law and grace, and and they're about to split over it. And Paul says, do whatever you want. That doesn't matter. What you do or or don't do, do it however it works for you. That's the new and old wineskins passage from Scripture. But what you have to do is love and accept each other because that's what it's all about, not the sin. Sin has been dealt with for everyone everywhere. So, let's take a look at this week. So, that passage we just read, you are the righteousness of Christ. That end game of God's before the foundations of the world, it's here. And you've got it, or can have it, today. So, let's look at Scripture's um, major text on the righteousness of Christ. All right. Proverbs 10. Proverbs 10. For those who God declares righteous, there is no hunger for you or lack of your needs being met. 
you will be blessed, which is from Matthew 5. You remember the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are, those, blessed are you when people persecute you, say all manner of evil things against you falsely. Remember that? And before every one of them is blessed, 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 blessed. And a whole bunch of those don't sound like blessed. I mean, blessed are those who mourn. The word blessed means happy. Well, but happy are those who mourn? That didn't even make any sense. It does to God. It does in light of grace. Okay? Because you can mourn with a peace and joy instead of fear, anxiety, anger, etc. And mourning is not to be looked at as a negative, just like pain, where, again, Galatians 1 counted as joy when all these things happen because it does this in you, and when that happens, that does this in you. When that happens, it does this in you. And when all of that happens, it makes you into the best version of you. The scripture literally says perfect, which is interesting because at the end of the Matthew 5 Beatitudes, as Jesus is saying, happy are you when this happens, that doesn't sound like you'd be happy. Happy are you when this happens, which doesn't sound like you'd be happy if that happened. Happy are you when this happens, which again doesn't sound like you'd be that happy. And then at the very end, Jesus says, be perfect. Okay, sure, I'll just start that right now and be perfect the rest of my life. Well, that be perfect is in harmony with the James 1, which says if you give that pain to God when it comes and, and let him deal with it and deal with it in light of truth and justice and grace and God's way and giving control to him, that the end result will be the perfect version of you, which is exactly what Jesus says at the end of Matthew 5 about happy are you when you mourn, have people say bad things to you, when bad things do happen to you, etc. So, happy. So, if you are declared righteous by God, that's the passage we read right here, 2 Corinthians 5, you are declared happy in that Matthew 5 kind of way, okay? Well, just about every poll we have ever seen on what people want most, unless they have a severe health issue or are in severe poverty, it's almost always to be happy, okay? Well, that's the 2 Corinthians 5. That comes with righteousness, which is a gift, not what you earn. Let's move on. Uh, again, these are all from Proverbs 10, kind of the scriptural proof text on how God sees righteousness. If you are righteous, you will have good memories. Well, if you know anything about the research that I've been working with for 20 years, every health issue you can name boils down to a wrong belief, and every wrong belief comes from your memories about that topic, whatever it is. So it may be Ford versus Chevy, and you may have 2,000 memories related to Ford versus Chevy, but your memories come down to 
all your beliefs come down to all of your collective memories and then an interpretation of those memories by your unconscious mind about that thing. And so God is saying, if I make you righteous, if I give you the gift of righteousness, that's going to include good memories, which would make me think my negative memories are being healed or transformed. God turns what Satan means for harm into good. That would include your memories because that's where the beliefs come from and the beliefs are where the health versus illness and everything else come from. Brain chemistry, hormones, positive thoughts, negative, etc. Okay, your mouth will be a fountain, which is a, a positive in scripture metaphor of wonderful life-giving things coming from your mouth. Your tongue will be like silver. Obviously, a lot. some of this is metaphorical. Um, your, your lips will nourish many. And that's talking about what comes from what you say in your life. Uh, many will be nourished, not harmed. Uh, out of your mouth will come wisdom. Your lips will know what is right, and others will know what is right from your lips. Uh, the wages of righteousness is life. Life, abundant life. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. You get that with righteousness. Uh, wealth and peace even comes with righteousness. Now, is that monetary wealth or wealth of the heart? I don't know. Maybe both. But, but whatever God chooses as the right wealth for you and peace, which is that heart compass of whether you're okay or not, the peace that passes understanding. We're not done. Um, your desires granted, and we talked about this in the last couple of weeks. Um, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. All right? Your desires granted. Um, return on your labor will be prosperous. You will have a prosperous return on your labor. Uh, you will have the prospect of joy in any and every situation. Uh, the way of the Lord will be your refuge. You will never be unprotected. How about that? You will never be unprotected. You are constantly watched over. And God's will done in your life. To, that's the Romans 8 outcome guarantee. All right. So, if all this is true, if I am the righteousness of Christ, if God has given that to me as a gift, and all of this stuff is true, including all of the Romans 5 happy things and beatitudes, then what is my job? My job is to love, not to judge. That's it. My job's to love you. It's to love me. It's to love God. Okay? Now that doesn't mean if I see you something doing, doing something wrong, I don't try to lovingly, kindly help you uh, get you to see a better way, whatever, but it does mean I don't judge. Uh, judgments for God and small children. God's, God says in Scripture, judge not as you judge, you, you will be judged. 
All right. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17 again. In Christ, the old has gone, the new, you are a new creature. You are a new creature. Okay? Now, that didn't mean you feel like a new creature. I remember vividly the day I was baptized, and I thought I would feel all of this unbelievable stuff. Well, I felt a little bit, but not a whole lot, honestly. Um, But that doesn't mean that my old man wasn't crucified and the new man raised to live a new life and walk with Jesus. Your emotions and feelings don't necessarily determine what has happened or not happened. Because this, the righteousness, the the gift of righteousness, when you choose Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you choose God to be committed to in your life, when you choose the present in love as best you can, giving up the end results to God, the high road, okay, God's response is to give you the righteousness of Christ to uh, create you as a new creation. The old you is gone. Whether you feel it or not does not change the fact that that is what has happened. It's a transaction. Okay. If you go into the grocery store and buy a gallon of milk, and then after you get the gallon of milk, you can't remember if you paid for it or not, and so you're honest and go back in, and the uh, person there looks at their receipts or whatever and says, oh yeah, you paid for it. And you think, oh, wow, that's really weird. I really thought I hadn't paid for that. But okay, if you've got the evidence, well, God has the evidence. And you have not paid for it, but he has. And that's what matters. That's the justice. It has to be paid for. It can't be cheap grace. God paid the most expensive grace ever for you. So whether you feel it or not, it's done. And if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and you can say that and mean it, you have the righteousness of Christ, and these things apply to you. Now, some of these are instant sort of things, and some of them are over time. Okay? So don't necessarily think, well, I haven't seen the uh, joy thing yet. Okay, no problem. Give it time. Remember, belief is dramatically affected by time, and God obviously uses time to see what our beliefs are. He uses time for pain in order to nudge us onto the right path again. Okay? But, but, um, all right. So, all of this is what God says you are and you have. If you, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior and you are in a state of grace. Okay. Um, Remember here, uh, by no means, that's a misunderstanding. Well, what were we talking about there? Paul was talking to him about grace and, and and they said, well, if that's the way grace works, then should we just sin more so that grace will abound? And Paul said, no, by no means. That's a misunderstanding, a wrong belief of grace. When you really understand grace, you don't want to sin as much. It turns your have-tos into want-tos because love will do that. 
And that's what we're talking about, a loving relationship with God, Jesus, ourselves, others, etc. Okay? So, if you, if you haven't gotten to the love, in love relationship with God, in love relationship with Jesus, for creating you, saving you before the foundation of the world, etc., doing all this stuff for you, and to give you love, grace, and justice all in your life, and make it and make all those negative things to positive you need to spend more time with God you need to spend more time with Jesus uh, maybe spend some more time with scripture the revelation one meditation uh, in the throne room is is the meditation I do every single day and I believe it is it is it is not made up. It is not just an imagination. It is absolutely real. And it is me communing with Jesus and God in real time. Me seated with Jesus in the heavenlies, Jesus in me here and now. Okay? But I will never be able to get a handle on my actions, sinful versus obedient, until love, love of God, love of Jesus, love from the Holy Spirit who's in me, leading and guiding me, all right, pricks my heart, as in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached and they were pricked in their heart and thousands came to the Lord. Why? The love of God who sent Jesus and sacrificed to him. Once you experience that, once you feel that, all right, then you will not want to sin more. You'll want to do the positive things and you'll not want to do the negative things. Now, I don't know that it ever gets 100% while we're here on earth, but significantly better and better and better. Although the, the big issues in your life, you will probably struggle with those your whole life. But typically they'll get better and better. The more that love relationship with you and the Father and you and Jesus and you and the Holy Spirit, you and yourself, you and others grows. Okay, so here's my question. Do you want whatever you're doing to work? You're living your life a certain way right now and, and probably have been, okay? You get up at a certain time, you, you have a certain job, you make a certain amount of money, you have certain friends and relatives, okay? Um, but you are living your life. You are working your life, okay? My question is, do you want the best one? Do you want the best life for yourself, for your children, for your, your spouse or significant other, for your parents, your friends? Do you want what you're doing to actually work? Or do you, are you doing it and hoping that it doesn't work? That it all blows up in your face and you feel guilt and shame and anger and stress and uh, on a hamster wheel? Or, well, uh, that's ridiculous. Nobody wants that. But are you living like that's what you want? Seek pleasure. Avoid pain. What I want when I want. Trying to control 
the end results of my life, okay, is that how you're living your life? Or have you given it to God? Have you turned to Him? I would be delighted to obey you in this pain. Are you committed to the James 1, count it as joy when these things happen because they turn you into the best version of yourself? The Beatitudes, Matthew 5, happy are you when these things happen, when you mourn, when people treat you badly. Is that how you react when those do happen? I'm, I'm happy, I'm glad they did that to me. Well, the passage doesn't say you'll naturally feel it. It says count it as that because you know it's creating the perfect version of you. Well, are you thinking that way when those things come? Oh, boy, this is going to hurt and I don't really want to go through it, but this is going to take me a little bit higher in my life if I give it to God and do it His way. This is going to, this is going to take me a little higher in my love, joy, and peace if I go give it to God and go through it His way? Are your have-tos turning into want-tos? That's what grace does. So if you're not experiencing that, if you're still experiencing seek pleasure, avoid pain, sin, um, and, and, and not sin, basically just out of obligation and uh, negative energy, you're not going to get there. Okay? Like in any relationship, you've got to spend time with God. You've got to spend time with Jesus. And the more you do, the more of the grace you will experience and all of these things and your have-tos being turned into want-tos and even being okay when the pain comes because you know you're not alone, that God is going to protect you, He's going to help you through it, and if you do it His way, you're going to have the best outcome that takes you up a little higher in your life. All right. Um, so do you, want, do you want your life to work or do you want whatever you're doing to actually work? Well, Ladies and gentlemen, as best I can tell, in the whole world, this is the only guaranteed outcome thing that is real, that has truth, justice, grace, and love. Real grace. Paid for grace. All of them. The things that you have to have to live a victorious love-based, best life for you. All right? And the wonderful thing is God doesn't even expect you to do, be the one that does it right. You're going to give Him control. He's going to give you dying grace, His power to do what He's leading you to do. If you don't live this, if you don't try this, if you stick with seek pleasure, avoid pain, if you stick with controlling your own end results, that's the definition of insanity. That's Einstein's to do the same thing over and over and over and expect a different result. That's the definition of insanity. 
National Geographic did a study years ago and they issued a special issue based on this study and a couple of others, but this one was the main one, where they found that one second before you make a significant decision, there's an electrical spike in your brain. And they tracked it back and the electrical spike is your unconscious mind mandating what your decision will be. And the scientists that discovered this had serious talks with themselves about never releasing this research to the general public. And their reason is they were afraid the suicide rate would spike. That when people see this, they would see their lives as kind of like a puppet on a string. My unconscious mind is mandating these decisions. I'm not choosing them of my own free will. And that is true if that's the place that you're in. But you can get your free will back. And we talked about that a couple of weeks too. If and when you commit to real love from the heart. And that's when your unconscious mind releases the safety measures. What's the safety measure? Stress, anger, irritation, control. Those are the safety measures. Those are only released when you choose love, real love. Okay? So without that, yeah, you're having your decisions in life mandated to you, basically by fear-based stuff in your unconscious mind. Now, you may not let it get too far out of moral obligation, but chances are about 95% you're still experiencing that hamster wheel life. Okay? Um, the law of attraction, reap what you sow, uh, the self-help world, um, basically all of those areas have a 97% failure rate, approximately. That would include um, health, that would include medicine, that would include most things you can name do, done by your own willpower, all right? Approximately 97% failure rate. Why? They all have the same blueprint. Decide what you want, develop a plan to get it, put the plan into action and never give up until you get it. Well, that's not grace, that's not love, that's seek pleasure, avoid pain. We're supposed to do that the first few years of life and then never again for the most part, all right? Most people today are living there. They're not changing when they get to 6, 8, 10, or 12 to doing what is love-based, what is right, regardless of the results or consequences. Very few people I meet as adults are living that way. Now, they may be partially living that way. In other words, I'm living in seek pleasure, avoid pain, and I'm in a relationship with you, and I'm going to be really nice and kind, and everybody's going to think I'm nice and kind. But I'm only nice and kind because you're giving me what I want. You stop giving me what I want, and I'm not nice and kind anymore. Well, that's not real love. That's fake love. That's seek pleasure, avoid pain. Real love, there's nothing you can do to me that will make me stop loving you. Literally. You can spit in my face. You can say bad things, anything, I will never stop loving you. 
Now, I may not be with you. may not be good for me to be with you or you with me. But that's my job. Period. Love. God's job is direction, the power to do the action, all of it. What I feel, what I think, hormones, that's all God's job. My job just to turn and choose Him. Every day, in every painful situation, every uh, ad adversity situation, um, etc. And when you choose wrong, He will make it as if you chose right. So, what we're adding this week is that you are the righteousness of Christ. Here's the definition of that righteousness. So you have this stuff available to you right now if you are a follower of Jesus. Do you feel like you have all this in, in your life? 99 out of 100 people that I ask that question of say, no, 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 I don't. Maybe one or two, but boy, this one is terrible for me. This one is terrible for me. This one is terrible. Well, then Satan is tricking you into choosing seek pleasure, avoid pain, instead of giving it to God and choosing love and truth. Okay? So, how about this week you quit um, living the definition of insanity, change what you're doing, get your free will back, have your life start to work better and better with whatever you're doing, and experience and receive all of these things, including that you are a brand new you. God's mercies are new every morning. Okay? Which means God sees you as if you've never committed a sin in your life. Righteous, innocent, holy. Jesus paid for them for you and the whole world whether it's intentional or unintentional sin, it's all covered. The key is living in a state of grace, which means that from your heart, you believe and commit to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you can do that in the next 60 seconds after I say goodbye and start this life. And I will join hands with you. We can do it together. Okay, so let me, let me put it another way, all right? Everything comes down to right or wrong, good or bad, all right? I mean, we'll concede there's a neutral, but basically, good or bad, right or wrong, okay? Where God started, where our life starts, etc. So in light of that, what is God saying here that um, we are the righteousness of Christ. The old has been done away. The new has come. God has made us new, all right, and given us the gift 
of the righteousness of Christ. So what does that mean? Uh, okay, let, let's say it's uh, about me, that God is looking at me, all right? And I have given my life to God. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I've repented, confessed, been baptized. I'm trying uh, to live in the present moment in love, giving up the end result. I don't do it very good, but I'm trying, and I'm getting a little bit better at it over time, okay? Um, but even when I do intentionally sin, man, I would, I would put my hand on the Bible and say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I'm still committed to Him long term. I've just got this bad habit. I need to quit. And the way I read Scripture and the Scriptures we've been through, if that's the case, I'm in a state of grace, even right in the middle of that unintentional sin. It's not like my dad where, okay, I have some stray thought and die before I have a chance to repent and God damns me to hell because of that kind of technicality or loophole. No, God says he looks at the heart. He knows whether I'm committed to him. He knows whether I'm sorry for that. I don't have to say it. The repenting and confessing is largely for me, okay? And we talked about that last week. But let's just see. If that's me, and, and so I have the righteousness of Christ, what does that mean? All right, let's look at them. Hunger, bam, for me. God, bam, I'm going to take care of Alex's hunger. Um, my need's not being met. Bam. Ah, Alex is right. Righteous. Alex is right. Let's take care of his needs. Uh, Alex has these negative memories, but he's right with me. Bam, let's, let's shift those to good or give him new good memories. Uh, what comes out of my mouth? Bam. My tongue like silver. Uh, what, what I say out of my lips, nourishing many. Bam. Wisdom. Bam. Uh, to know what is right. Bam. Uh, abundant life for my work. Bam. Wealth and peace. Bam. My desires granted. Bam. Uh, prosperity for my labor, bam, that I will be strong and stand firm, not be weak, bam, uh, that I can be in joy in any and every situation, bam, that God will be my refuge, bam, that I'm always protected, bam. And then we go to the Beatitudes because these two passages are linked by this, all right? Then, so then we go to the Matthew 5. Blessed are, happy are, happy are, happy are. How are they linked? Because of this. Blessed, happy are those who he has declared right and righteous. So the beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those when people... So that's me now too. Because that's included in this Proverbs 10 passage. All right? So, in all these different areas of my life, God, as the judge with the gavel for me, because I'm under grace, because I am committed to Him, when any and all of these things come up in my life, God is, Alex is right, right, right. Right, 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 right. Why? Because I'm 
Not sinning and doing everything correctly? No, I've never come close to that in my whole life. No. Because He paid the price. My sin has been paid for. God and Jesus hold the receipt. It does not have to be paid for twice. And the sin belongs to the person who paid for it. Which is not me. And God does not assign the responsibility of the sin to me. That's Romans 7. When this happens, it's not me doing it. It's sin living in me. That sin is never written under my name. Blessed is the man whose sin is never written under his name. Never counted against him. So about all these areas of my life that I have doubts about, especially when I'm sinning, God, through his miracle plan of love, grace, the blood of Jesus, Jesus is my high priest, about all of them, as long as I'm not committed the unforgivable sin and walked away and never come back, as long as I'm still in that state of grace and Jesus is my Lord and Savior, all through the day, if I'm turning and giving it to him, God is bam, right, bam, right, bam, right, bam, righteous, bam, righteous, bam, righteous, bam, righteous, and gives me that gift and dying grace to do whatever is needed in any and all of those situations. And I believe Scripture supports He does that for you as well. As long as Jesus is your Lord and Savior. As long as you can say that and mean it. Now, I'm not saying you necessarily say it and feel it, but say it and mean it as an intention. I believe that's what he says. He looks at the motives and intention of the heart. All right? So if that's your intention and you do that, profess that, commit to that, you are in a state of grace and God says righteous, 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 righteous to you even when you commit the unintentional sin because it was already paid for. And God had planned that from before the beginning. Pretty unbelievable, huh? Uh, that's it for this week. Um, I love you. I'm praying for you. Uh, please give us your comments, even if it's just right on the YouTube page. Uh, contact us, and we will be delighted to help. If you would like to do a Bible study or uh, whatever, I mean, there's no rules. You can do whatever you want. But I'm just saying we're happy to help if there's any way that we can. God bless you, and have a wonderful, blessed day and week. And remember, that word blessed, happy. But happy God's way. Love, joy, peace, no matter what's happening in your life. Pretty cool. Thank you.